0: Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. King Solomon is considered to be the richest man who ever lived. Historians place his uh, lifetime accumulation of wealth at 2.1 trillion, uh, that's with a T, trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. Uh, not only did he have a large accumulation of wealth, uh, but he also had many accomplishments that he had throughout his life. Many accomplishments that we would deem as successful, that we would deem as part of of what looked like a, a life fulfilled. Um, we'll go through these accomplishments of Solomon real quickly. Uh, the first one um, is that he was the third king of Israel. Um, After Saul, first king, David, his father, the second king, he was then the third king. And uh, King David, his father, actually set him up pretty well at the beginning of his reign uh, because his half-brother, uh, Adonijah, was trying to steal the throne from Solomon and even says in Scripture, he got everybody together, began to throw a party. While David was still king, and began to throw a party for himself, and everybody was, pro- pro- was proclaiming, long live King Adonijah. And he was having a party, proclaiming himself as King and, so- uh, and King David stepped in on Solomon's behalf and actually said, while he was still alive, he said, no, Solomon will be king. Solomon will be my succession. And he made him king while David was still alive. And while David was still alive, Solomon was sitting on the throne. And so that way his succession could be clear and be made how he wanted to. The next one is that he was the wisest king of Israel. That's what Scripture says. It says that no man was wiser than he, and actually says that people from all over the world would come just to hear the words that would come out of Solomon's mouth, and that they would just be almost like a, like students at his feet just trying to soak up his wisdom. Uh, The next one is that he constructed international uh, trade. Uh, Solomon was uh, a very knowledgeable businessman. He knew about how uh, to streamline systems and procedures, Uh, and so he began to create international trade with all the nations of the world, and during this time, because of that, uh, Israel experienced the most wealthy era of their history, um, and they became a renowned nation in the world, and scripture actually says that other nations would look at Israel and have jealousy in their heart for what they had. Next one. Uh, He built God's temple. This is probably the uh, the best accomplishment or most important ac- accomplishment, I should say, of Solomon's life is that he built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, the same temple that David, his father, had put on his heart to build. Solomon is the one to actually build it, and not only that, he brought in the ark of the covenant representation of God's presence into that temple, um, and God, it says in scripture, that God resided in there. He brought in the presence of God and and Israel experienced blessings during that time. The next one is that he constructed a large army. Um, throughout his reign, uh, King Solomon uh, got together so many horses, so many horsemen, so many, so many um, uh, really sections of his armies that it says that there was nobody who really wanted to even come against him because how large of an army he had. Final one is this: is that he wrote Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Songs of Solomon, um, and he, it says in Scripture that he even wrote over a thousand. Um, psalms and over 3,000 proverbs. So, so this guy, he was pretty successful um, from the outside looking in. From the outside looking in, if, if you looked at uh, Solomon's life, uh, you would look at it, you see the accomplishments, you would see the accolades, and you say, this man was successful. This man must have lived a blessed life. But if you go deeper into the life of Solomon, you'll begin to realize that there was things on the inside. There's things going on behind the scenes. There's the things that he let creep into his heart that By the end of his life, even after all the accumulation of wealth and wisdom and accomplishments, Scripture says that at his deathbed, things were stripped from him and his children lived with the the, uh, consequences of his decisions. And he lost everything but one tribe of Israel. All the things were stripped from his life. And if you look at it, and even though that he knew maybe what things was going on, yes, he was knowledgeable, but he became so concerned with wealth, he became so concerned with uh, with pursuing things of the world that he began to become less concerned with following after the commandments of God. But see, God made this very clear. If we go back to verse 14, God made this very clear. He says this, he says, So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, everybody say commandments, It says, if you keep my commandments, if you walk in my way as your father David, then then your days will be long. God made it very clear from the get-go, hey, look, all you have to do is just follow after me, walk in my ways, and follow my commandments, and your days will be long, and your life will be blessed. Not just from an outside perspective, from an inner one as well. So what were these commandments that God was referring to? God was referring to these commandments that he gave, in particular to kings, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God begins to describe these commandments that he gave Solomon. And if you look closely, you'll begin to recognize a pattern here. All right, let's start with verse 16. Verse 16. This is God speaking about what the king should and should not do. He said, the king must not build up a large stable of horses. Everybody say horses. Large stable of horses for himself. In scripture, it says that Solomon had over 40,000 stables of horses. All right? That's a little excess of that. All right, Solomon, I I get a few, but 40,000 seems like too much for himself. The next one said, or send his people to Egypt, everybody say Egypt, to buy horses, for the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. If you know the pattern of what Solomon's life was, then I'll give you one guess of where Solomon bought all his horses from. He went to Egypt to get those horses. A direct contrast of what God was telling him to do. He said, you know what? Egypt has the best horses. I know God gave commands not to do that, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyways because it makes sense in my head. And so he got the best horses from Egypt and broke the commandment that God had. Verse 17, it says, the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart, everybody say heart, his heart away from the Lord. If you, again, if you know Solomon, you know he really broke this one. It says he had over, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had 1,000 wives. So he went a little excess in that, maybe a little too far in that. And he broke that commandment. And the last one says this, and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for, keyword himself. Solomon had an extreme accumulation of wealth. Scripture says that Solomon would have yearly 25 tons of gold given to him and that his wealth began to be built and built over and over and over to the point where we now refer to him as the richest man who ever lived You see, it's not wrong for us to have wealth. It's not wrong for us to have possessions. Where it gets wrong and where Solomon made a mistake is that he was so caught up in his wealth and possessions that it came a hold of him and he didn't care about the commandments of God no longer. And he began to follow after the things of the world and he lost his trust and his reverence and his fear for what God was telling him to do. So literally Solomon broke every single one of the laws that David said don't break. Or God said, don't break, and and he said, follow after what David, your father, did. He literally broke every single one of those laws, and here's the thing. You can't say, well, maybe Solomon didn't know it. Maybe he skipped over that scripture. That was literally the only scripture he had to read if he had to read one. Because he knew he was in succession to be keen. And I believe even from from him being a child, he knew those commandments frontwards to backwards. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew exactly what he couldn't do. He knew exactly where he had to stay in the lane to walk after God for him to live what Scripture says a long life and be blessed by God. But the question is this. How can a person, Solomon, who is referred to as the wisest man who ever lived, who is referred to as the wealthiest man who ever lived, how can this man with all his wisdom, all his knowledge, all his know-how, how can he break something so simple and what elementary as his falling after the commandments of God, how can he break, how can he be so dumb? I think you can refer to Solomon as the dumbest king who ever lived. Because how can he know what to do and see the commandments from God and then how can he be convinced himself to break those commandments? I believe from a worldly perspective, I believe what begins to happen is that he began to look at his life, not from the perspective of God, but from the perspective of the world. Because if you look at things from a worldly perspective, from a political perspective, if you look at the decisions that he made, those decisions actually kind of made sense. Those decisions were actually kind of a good idea for him to make. Like it was a good idea for him to gather all the horses that he could. It was a good idea for him to gather all the all the all the horses and all the all the stables and chariots. It was a good idea because he needed an army large enough to protect himself from any enemies. From the outside looking in, it was a good idea. It was a good idea to get the best horses from Egypt. Right? Why? because they're the best horses, right? You want to go to Egypt to get the best horses. Yeah, I know it would break the commandments that God was telling them to do, but from an outside looking in, are you hearing what I'm saying? From the outside looking in, from a worldly perspective, it sound like a good idea. Man, it sound like a good idea to, to have a thousand wives, right? Because from a political perspective, he married, he went to all the nations of the world and he married the princesses from that nation. Why? Because from a political perspective, that would create a political peace. And that would, would create from a, from a perspective of the world, that was the, a good decision to make. And then finally, right, it was, it was a good decision to accumulate wealth. Why? Because who doesn't like accumulating wealth? I mean, come on. Sounds like a good idea, right? But he broke every single one of those commands. He broke every single ones that God commanded him not to do. And I believe the same thing can happen in our life because if we are not careful, we will be convinced to break the ways of God because it sounds like a good idea from a worldly perspective. We'll be convinced to, to break what God has told us to do because from an outside perspective, from a perspective of culture, from the perspective of the world, that seems like a good idea. Like I know, I'm, I know God has told us to, to, to give of tithes and offerings. I know God has told us that. But it seems like it's a good idea from a worldly perspective. Have you, have you ever talked to somebody who's not a Christian or, or gone to church? Have you ever tried to talk to them about tithes and offerings? They do not understand it. They did not understand. They say, really? Like, why don't you put, why don't you put that in, in savings or investments? Or why don't you, like, doesn't that sound like a good idea? Doesn't it sound like a better idea than what God is saying? But if you've ever done anything according to God's will, if you've ever put anything into the house of God and the kingdom of God, you are a witness in the house to say, I've seen what the riches and the glory that God gives. And that the return that I get, yeah, from a worldly perspective, it doesn't make sense to give of tithes and offering. But from a godly perspective, it makes all the sense in the world because I don't want money. I don't want possessions. I don't want materialistic things from the world. I want eternal wealth. I want the one only God can give, which is peace, which is love, which is joy, which is unison in the family. Only God can give those things. But from a worldly perspective, you could be convinced that it would be a good idea not to do it. Or oh, I've heard this before. I've heard somebody come up to me and say, you know, I know, uh, you know, it, it says, you know, God wants us to, to wait uh, before or wait till after marriage before uh, uh, intimacy. And I know that, I know God says that, but, but from a worldly perspective, what do they tell you? They tell you, hey, look, you're going to make sure that you are compatible with each other before you get married, Right? From a worldly perspective, they tell you. From a cultural perspective, say, they say, that doesn't make sense. From a, from a perspective of the world, they say, what are you doing? That's, but then they begin to convince you of what seems to be good ideas. But it's not a God idea. Because if you have anybody who knows that when you do things God's way, it might confound the world. It may not make any sense to uh, society or to people. But who knows? We're not trying to please the world. We're not trying to please people or society. We're trying to please God this morning with the things that we do in our life. And if we worry about pleasing God, we don't have to worry about anything else because he's the only name we need to please. Listen to the words of Solomon himself. He wrote Proverbs early in his life, and I believe early in his life he still had some some sense in him. But in Proverbs 3, chapter uh, uh, verse 5, Solomon says this himself. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Somebody say heart. heart. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Solomon himself was saying this. He's saying, you could try to lean on the world if you want to. You could try to lean on, the, on, on society and on the culture if you want to. But do not lean on your understand, own understanding or you're going to be lost. Or you're going to make mistakes. Instead, lean on God for that. Lean on what he is directing you to do. Why? Because only God knows where you are going. And only God knows to know where you should end up. And the only way to end up in God's plan is only by God's path. There is no way we can get to God's plan by walking our own path. We have to say, God, I want to fulfill all the purpose and promises you have for me. So, God, let me not lean on my own understanding. Let me try not try to make sense in myself about what I should do next. No, God, let me lean on you. But, see, if you try to make decisions just because the world says it makes sense, then let me say you're going to make some wrong decisions decisions because it might sound like a good idea but point one for this morning is this but not every good idea is a God idea not every good idea is a God idea just because it is a smart decision for the world to do doesn't mean it is the wise decision for the children of God to do when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness you know what the enemy tempted him with Satan came to the wilderness when Jesus was still fasting for 40 days, and Jesus was hungry. And, and well, you know what the enemy came up and tempted him with? He tempted it with what seemed like good ideas. He said, Jesus, look, you're hungry, right? I mean, obviously, you haven't eaten 40 days, so you're hungry. So look, turn that stone into bread and eat it, so you cannot be hungry no more, right? That seems like a good idea. In a moment, some of us could even be convinced, like, yep, zap, don't, Chick-fil-A, Right? not hungry no more but Jesus knew that just because it sounds like a good idea that doesn't mean it's coming from God and Jesus knew he said no the word of God says that man should not live on bread alone but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord and so guess what enemy you might be trying to convince me of a lie but I know the truth The second thing that the enemy tried to convince him of, he said, hey, look, I'll take you to this high place. I'll take you to this high building and jump off because you have angels who will protect you. And so if you jump off, surely you will not hurt yourself. It says your foot won't even touch the stone. From the outside looking in, you could even be convinced like, hey, that's a good idea. I want to see what that feels like, right? Be caught by angels. Sounds like a good idea. But Jesus knew. He said, no, but scripture says that We are to not test the Lord, our God, and he knew what was lie, he knew what was truth, he knew what was a good idea, and he knew what was a God idea. Sin entered the world by Satan convincing Eve of a good idea. He said, Eve, look, Eve, I know God said this, but if you eat this fruit, surely you won't die. And a matter of fact, if you eat this fruit, you'll become like God. Man, that sounds like a good idea, right? But that good idea is what led in sin into this world. And Eve broke the commandments of God because she was convinced of a good idea. She might be saying, Pastor C.J., well, how do we know what's a good idea and what's a God idea? Well, let me say this. If an idea comes into your mind, but it doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's not a God idea, okay? Solomon, for some reason, had an idea come into his mind that said, let's get a 1,000 wives, and even though it's clearly he says, don't do that, he made it anyways, and he broke the word of God, and that wasn't a good idea. See, for us to have God ideas, it has to line up with the word of God. There will never be a time when God will speak to you and break his own words that he has in Scripture. There will never be a time... And if you are convinced of doing something that is going against the word of God, then you need to have the the awareness to know that isn't coming from God because God does not lie. This is coming from somewhere else, so I'm not going to listen to it. The final temptation that Jesus was tempted with is the enemy took Jesus to a high place, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and, and he said, look, uh, if you just bow down and worship me, you will find success, and you will find fame, and I will give you all the riches of the world, and he even said this, he said, because I am allowed to do that, and Jesus I mean, from from really, that's what Solomon was tempted with. That's really what the good idea Solomon was tempted to is was success and wealth and all that. And but Jesus looked and he and he knew and, and understood. He said, "No, Scripture says the Word of God says that you should only worship the one true God. And so I'm not going to do anything that breaks the Word of God because I'm not going to do anything that's contrary to what God is telling me to do in my life. But the enemy, Satan, he was willing to allow Jesus to have earthly success if it means he broke his eternal value. Satan said, hey, look, I'm fine with everybody calling on you now. I'm fine with you having all the riches and the glory. But as long as you break what God is telling you to do, as long as you break the purpose that God has on your life, and see, that's what happened in Solomon's life. He had all the worldly success you could imagine. If you can imagine it, Solomon probably did it, to be honest he had all the wealth, he had all the accolades, he had all the accomplishments, and from the outside looking in, you could say, wow, he must be doing everything right. You ever look at somebody's life and see all the wealth, and see all the success, and see all the accolades, and see all the fame, and say, man, maybe I need to do what they're doing, because look at all the worldly success, and you say, well, look at these, the wide, all the all, all the actors and celebrities and people who, are, who have everything that the world says to offer. And from the outside looking in, you could be convinced to live more like them and less like God because you see the worldly success that they have. But see, we are not after worldly success. We are after eternal success. We're not after materialistic things. Now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with materialistic things. What is wrong is when you do what Solomon did and he put those materialistic things above the word of God. He grabbed what was supposed to be a blessing and it became a curse. How? Because he put it above the word of God. There's nothing wrong to have wealth. There's nothing wrong uh, with having any kind of materialistic thing. The only time when it gets wrong is when you make an idol of those things. And you say, I am in pursuit of the world. Then I am then of God. And if you do that now, that thing, was supposed to be a blessing, becomes a burden on your life. But see, temporary wealth is not our goal. Eternal wealth is our goal. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6, 33. He says this. He says, Seek first after the kingdom of God above all else. Everybody say, above all else. In Matthew 6 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and above all else and live righteously and he will give everything you need. You know what comforts me about that scripture? is that many times as human beings, we are so caught up in trying to make things work out. We are so caught up in trying to make things uh, connect the dots and pay the bills, right, and make everything happen, uh, that we can get so caught up in that race that we forget about pleasing God. But here's the comforting thing in our lives is that if we just worry about pleasing God, all those things will take care of itself. If you say, God, I put your kingdom first, now that doesn't mean, you know, you just sit in your room all day and read the Bible and don't work or I anything. Mean, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that if you follow after God, and if you follow after the commandments he has on your heart, and you put his kingdom first, you will never be in pursuit of the world ever again. You will not find yourself in pursuit of anything else ever again. Pursue after God, and you won't have to pursue after anything else. Be a kingdom seeker. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a kingdom of God seeker. I'm a kingdom of God seeker. Now as we get to the latter part of Solomon's life, In 1 Kings chapter 11, in 1 Kings chapter 11, this is in the latter part of Solomon's life. And he begins to do the things that God has told him clearly not to do. Verse 2, it says, the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, saying, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yes, Solomon uh, insisted on loving them anyways. See, God was talking about bringing in foreign wives to worship pagan gods. He said, you are not to do that because if they don't change their hearts towards God, then they will change your hearts towards the pagan gods. And he said, you shall not do that. But it says Solomon did it anyways. And he had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. And Solomon's old age, they turned his heart, everybody say heart, to worship other gods. Instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. So Solomon worshipped Astoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. And on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Solomon, by the end of his life, even after all the wisdom, even after all what he had accomplished and done, even after knowing exactly what God commanded him to do, by the end of his life, he began to worship other gods. He began to worship the pagan idols that his wives brought into his house. And the mistake that Solomon made, maybe at first he tried to convince himself saying, oh, I'm too strong of a Christian to ever do anything like that. Or maybe at first he said, oh, I'm too wise to ever do anything like uh, worshiping pagan gods. So it's okay if I marry these women. It's okay if I let these things into my home. It's okay because, you know, I'm strong enough. You ever heard somebody say that before? Say, I'm too Christian to do anything like that ever. So I, I can go to the nightclub or I can not go here I, because, you know, I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm saying right now, you're playing with fire, right? But he allowed those things into his home, and what you allow into your home, eventually it will get into your heart. See, Scripture was very specific in mentioning the gods that Solomon worshipped and turned his back on the one true God and worshipped these detestable gods and I think there were I think scripture was very specific in naming these gods for a reason because if you were a part of that culture during this time and during this day you knew what it meant to worship those gods. See it says that he worshiped Astoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. That god was a goddess all about sex and war and that is what uh, Solomon was worshiping Imagine being uh, in the nation of Israel and watching your king worship that type of God. And the confusion that must come into your heart and into your mind. Watching God's chosen king worshiping a pagan god. The other one they mentioned was Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Molech was all about child sacrifice. Imagine seeing King Solomon worship a god that's all about child sacrifice you will be confused you'll be saying how far did he must fall how much did he must turn his heart against god how did he get to this point of worshiping such a detestable god And the last one it says see worship was the god Chemosh, the, the god of moab and it literally says his name literally means destroyer of people by the end of the life by the end of his life that really was what took place it destroyed his life when he worshiped that God see he let these idols into his house and it corrupted his heart that is why we have to be very intentional mom and dad young person who whoever is responsible for their home you have to be intentional and you have to be very picky about what you let in See, Scripture says that all the the enemy needs is just a foot in the door. It might look innocent at first. It might even sound like a good idea at the beginning. But those types of things will creep into our heart. And before we know it, we're doing things like Solomon was doing at the end of his life, doing things he didn't think he was capable of. But he let it into his home, and it entered his heart. And much less even that, he let it enter his, his children's heart, and even... His children even took it a next step further and they began to worship uh, their gods inside the temple that they built. Doing things that was so unspeakable, but it started with decisions of allowing things into his home. That's why we got to be intentional about the atmosphere that is in our home and honor God with everything that we do. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is God talking to his people of Israel. And he's talking to, to them about this very thing. He, he tells them in, this, in verses previously, he, he tells them, do not worship other gods. Do not worship other idols. Stare clear of those things. And he tells them this in verse 5. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Everybody say heart shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children what are you diligently teaching your children this morning what have you said to yourself what because here's the thing if you are not doing things by design things will happen by default and you will say how did these things come into my house it will because you weren't being intentional and diligently teaching your children it says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your home, in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. God was saying this, the way to keep the enemy out, you, you want to know a way to keep the enemy out of your homes? Is that your homes better be so filled up with the Spirit of God, there's no room for the enemy. God was telling him, hey, when you wake up, you need to remind him of who you are. When you go to sleep, you need to remind him of who you are. And the scripture after this, we didn't include it, it even says, hey, you need to write it on your forehead. I don't think God meant, you know, actually to do that. But, hey, knock yourself out if you want to. Maybe it'll help. But he said, write it on your forehead. Put it everywhere you look. Be so filled up with God that there's no room for the enemy to get a foothold. Be so filled up with the commandments and the instructions that there's no room for false gods and idols and idolatry to make a way into your home. But see what Solomon did is that he slept with all these wives and he let them into his home and he did all these things that God told him not to do. All these, all these people in his life who were worshipping false idols and who were worshipping all these gods who there of, of terrible meaning behind him and, and he allowed them to influence him. And before he knew it, he was worshiping those same idols. Maybe it didn't happen right away. Early in his life, if you see, he he was making some right decisions. Maybe it didn't happen right away. But over time, because of who he allowed around him, it compromised what was inside of him. Point two for this morning is this. is that compromised counsel will lead to a compromised calling. That if you allow the people around you to compromise what is inside of you, where God is taking you, well, you you will lose the sensitivity. You will lose the understanding. You will become numb to the words of God if you allow the words of others to compromise your heart. He allowed the words of those around him to compromise what was inside of him. He chose all the wrong relationships, and eventually that led him to breaking the most important relationship in his life, the relationship he had with God. By the end of his life, it even says that his back was so turned on God, he he didn't even know. By that point, he didn't even know he was doing wrong. He was so far away. See, I've met many people who have had such a strong calling of God on their life, who had such a strong purpose on their life, but because of who they allowed to be around them, because of the friends they seeked or the community they allowed to to speak into their life, because of what friends and relationships they chose, it compromised the calling that God had on their life. I've seen many young people be surrounded by the wrong people, And because of that, even though they had a calling and a purpose, it led them to turning their back on the person that God called them to be. The old saying is, show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future, right? Solomon was surrounded by all the wrong people. And maybe at the beginning he he didn't allow to fully turn his heart, but over time it corrupted him. And he could have just looked around himself and he would have saw what his future was. The same future as the wives he chose and the people around him he chose, worshiping other gods. That's why it's so important for us to be surrounded with the right people. If there's a prayer, I always pray. Say, God, let me, God, give me the the right relationships and the right counsel and allow me to to discern. Because, God, I want to be surrounded by people who love you. I want to be surrounded by people who are pursuing after your name and after your righteousness because here's the truth. We're all human. And we all need people around us who will hold us accountable. We all need people around us who will encourage us and pick us up. We all need people around us who are so on fire for God that they will say, hey, I know you made a mistake, but get back up. Turn your heart towards God. You'll be right back on track. We have to be surrounded with those people because imagine this. Imagine if Solomon was surrounded by the right people. The first time he would have even gotten close to making a decision like he did of worshiping another God, somebody said, hey, hey, stupid. Remember who you are. Get back on track, right? Right? But he didn't have nobody around. matter of fact, he had people around him encouraging to worship false idols. And that led to his downfall. That is why it's so important for us to be connected to the body of Christ. That's why it's so important. That's why church is so important. Don't get me wrong. This this coming to church alone won't make you a Christian, but it sure will help. It sure will be, uh, we were meant to do this life alone. It will be a benefit to you to build a relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I I don't care how much scripture you know. I don't care uh, how introverted you are. You say, all I need is my Bible and I'm good. No, you need people around you to encourage you to speak into your life. You need a church that's healthy around you. We need those things. God created the church for that reason so we could be part of the body of Christ. So that way, right, if it says in Scripture, right, if something's wrong with the foot, the arm will say, get in get in shape, right? Because we're all part of the same body of Christ. That's why the church is so important. And that's why I'm thankful to be part of Riverside. That's why I'm thankful to be part of a house that I am. Because there's been many times in my life where in the moments of of weakness and a moment of confusion I was able to receive a word from my church family that put me back on track and an understanding was able to call somebody and say look I need agreement on this or I need prayer on this or or what do you think about this decision and I was able to find wise counsel the right counsel at the right time and that made all the difference that's why it's so important to be part of this house come on if you're thankful for the house of God give him a shout of praise this morning See, even though Solomon had all the wisdom and all the wealth, because he disobeyed God, Scripture says that he and his children lost all the tribes of Israel, lost the kingdom that God gave him. He lost it because of his disobedience. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 9 says this. This is at the end of Solomon's life. It says, the Lord was very angry with Solomon. For his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods. But because Solomon did not listen, everybody say, listen because he did listen to the Lord's commands. See what's interesting is this, if you remember at the beginning what was the one thing that Solomon asked for him to be able to do, right? To understand, which means to listen The one thing, the promise that actually God gave him, right, was the thing that he was not able to have. Why? Not because because God turned his back on him, but Solomon turned his back on God, and he voided all the promises that was in his life. He voided the purpose that was in his life. He voided the callings and strengths that was in his life, the strengths that God had ready for him, the strengths and promises that God was saying, it's right here. But he turned his back on God because of that, uh, the wise king wasn't even listening to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. By the end of his life, Solomon had lost everything he gained. Not because he didn't have the wisdom, but because he didn't have the will to do it wisdom without the will to do it is worthless you might know what to do that's one thing but acting on what you know what to do is a totally different thing see Solomon wrote many proverbs that he didn't even follow by the end of his life if you read the the proverbs of Solomon there's a lot of good stuff and then if you read the life of Solomon you say is this two totally different people? Because come on. He obviously knew he was doing wrong. He obviously had wisdom, but he didn't have the will to do it. He didn't have the, the discipline to do it. And I believe what led to that in his life Because see, in the early parts of his life, when his heart was turned towards God, he had the discipline. He had the strength. He had the ability to follow after God. But the moment he turned his back on God was the moment that strength that he had was pulled from him. And now what seemed so easy to follow after, now he's struggling, and now he's losing things. Now his life is in so a corruptible stance that he's worshiping gods of child sacrifice and gods of, of destroying the lives of people. Because he turned his back on God and that removed his ability to follow after God's will. See, the only way to follow after God's promise and purpose in our lives is for us to do it His way. I don't know if you ever tried it before, I've, I've tried it a couple times. You cannot do God's will your way, you will learn very quickly it doesn't work. You might say, God, I know where I'm going. King Solomon says, God, I know what you called me to. God, I know where you're leading me, so let me do it my way. Let me buy these horses from Egypt. Let me marry all these wives. Let me get to a place, a political right stance that makes sense to myself and to the world. Let me get to this place because I see where you're taking me. Let me do it my way. And that's what led him to be lost. But this morning, see, let us be the church. Let us be a people That doesn't just know the decrees of God, but we take a step further and we follow after what God is saying. Let us not be a church that has the decrees but lacks the discipline. But let us be the church that knows the decrees and has the discipline, has the love for God, has this. God, I'm pursuing after your righteousness. I'm pursuing after what you have for me. God, let me be surrounded by your people. Let me make the decisions you want me to make. I have a heart after God. I'm going to turn my back on what is false. I'm going to turn my back on what is not right. And God, I'm going to follow after you. Let us be that type of church this morning. Only in places and in that way, only in spaces and that way, we say, God, I want to follow after you. Even if that means I make decisions that the world says is dumb. Even if it means I make decisions that goes against the culture and the time of the world. I don't know, look, I don't know if you're looking around right now, but now is not the time to take advice from the world. All right? There's some crazy stuff going on. Now's the time. Say, God, I don't want to listen to, to what the world has to say. I want to listen to what your word has to say. I want to line up with that i want to line up with what you have instructed me to do come on if you agree with that can you stand to your feet i'm closing see let us be a people who follows after righteousness who follows after the decrees that god has for us and says this let's be let us be somebody who says, God, I don't care what happens. I don't care who it separates me from. I don't care who it puts me with. I don't care what the outcome is. My first priority is being obedient to you. That's my first priority. My first priority is, God, let me be obedient to what you have to say. I'm not going to worry about the outcome at the end because, God, really, that's your job is to worry about outcomes. My job is to worry about obedience. My job is to make sure that I'm lined up with your word. My job is to make sure that I'm not breaking the laws and the decrees. That should be what Solomon said. Solomon should have said in his mind, okay, God, I see what you have for me, and uh, I need to control these outcomes, so let me try to figure out how to do it. And he tried to worry about all the other things except for following after God. And because of that, he missed out on all what God had for him. See, even though Solomon was the richest man alive and even though he was visited by all the kingdoms of the earth to learn from his wisdom and even says the wise men of the east would come to visit him because he was wiser than the men of the east. The the same wise men who visited Jesus. Scripture says he was wiser than them. Even though he had all this wisdom and all this knowledge, even though he had all this success and all this accomplishment, even really he had everything that from our humanity we would say we would require and need for happiness and fulfillment. He had it all. But even though he had all those things, by the end of his life he realized That chasing after material possessions, chasing after worldly success, that even when he got to that place, even when he got to that place of success in his mind, he realized that he still had a hole on the inside of himself. And that it did not suffice his flesh. It didn't suffice his appetite. As a matter of fact, it made him want even more possessions, even more wealth, and more accolades. And he realized by the end of his life that he should have done things differently. See, Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, at the latter part of his life. And and throughout this book, if you read it, he goes through each success and accomplishment that he had in the world. He said, I've done all these things. I've experienced all this success. I've gone through all the pleasures that the world has to offer. I have all the wealth that a man could ever want. I have all these things. He said, you know what I've learned by the end of all of it? It still doesn't fill the need on the inside of me. It still doesn't make me feel fulfilled in who I am. It, it still doesn't make me feel, feel fulfilled in the, in the space in my heart that only God can fulfill. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13, and the, the last scripture of this book, he says this, after explaining his whole life, after going through all the things he's done, all the accomplishments we talked talking about, all the wealth he accumulated, by the end of it all, he said this. He says, that's the whole story. But he said, here is my final conclusion. He said, fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. By the end of Solomon's life, he didn't say, hey, by the end of it all, here's what I heard and here's what I've learned, right? Gather all the materialistic things you need because you will find happiness in him. He didn't say that. He said, by the end of my life and being the wealthiest person alive, gather all the money you can gather because that's what's going to equal your happiness. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, by the end of your life, gather all the, get it, go into all the fleshly desires. He had a thousand wives. You name it, Solomon probably did it. But he didn't say that was the key to that. To fulfillment and happiness. He said, This, what I've learned by the end of my life is something that I knew from the beginning. It's what God instructed me to do. He said, Follow after His commands. Have the fear of God on your heart and have reverence for His commands. If there's one thing that you have to do, He said, Don't pursue fame. It doesn't work. He said, Don't pursue wealth. I'm the wealthiest man who ever lived. And can I say this? By the end of his life, he was still lacking. He said, don't pursue success and accomplishments. He'd done all these things, but by the end of it, he was still lacking. He said, if there's one thing that you should do with your life, he said, pursue after God. Pursue after love. Pursue after peace. Pursue after the things of God. And if you pursue after God, all those things will be given. And this is what Paul explained. I want to close with this scripture in Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4. This is what Paul explained to the, the to church in Philippi. that this same God who takes care of me will supply all. Come on. Somebody say all. all. Will supply all your needs. Not just some, not a few, but all your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given unto us in Christ Jesus. What Solomon was saying, he's saying to us, what Paul is saying, he's saying to us, He said, if there's one thing we need to pursue, it's not after the riches of the world, not after the things that the materialistic culture says we need. If there's one thing we have to do, is to come into an acknowledgment in our mind and say, God, let me just pursue after you. There's all these other options. There's all these other avenues. There's all these other paths. But God, I want to go down the path that says, God, I just want to pursue after you. I just want to pursue after your name. I just want to pursue after your presence. I just want to pursue after your peace. I just want to pursue after your joy. I don't, I've seen all these other things, but I want to learn from Solomon's mistakes. I don't want to pursue after the world. I want to pursue after you. I'm close with this thought. That if we pursue after God's eternal righteousness, he will provide eternal riches. We say, God, I just want to pursue after you. That's all I want to worry about is is pleasing your name and, and following after what you have. If we just worry about pursuing after God. God made a promise to us. The same way God made a promise to Solomon. Saying, if you keep my decrees and commands, if you follow after me, then guess what? All that you could ever require, all you could ever need will be given unto you. Anything that you could ever need on the inside of you will be given And not only will God give you things that the world could offer but God gives you things that the world can't offer. God gives us things that the world cannot buy. God can give us peace in our mind. Come on who needs peace in our minds this morning? God will give us love in our heart. Come on who needs love in our heart this morning? God will give us joy in our life. Come on who needs joy in our life this morning? What God was saying is that I will give you things that money can't buy. I will supply your needs that the world can't offer. I will give you the things that is called eternal riches. Because we're not after temporary gains. We're after an eternal reward. We're after not what the man can give, but what only God can offer. Those are the things that we call eternal riches.